Welcome to your go-to source for entertainment. Wait for it? Gaming? Wait for it? Anime? Plus Ultra! Mr. Eric Almighty and Phil the Filipino? Yeah, they've got you covered. And all you gotta do is wait for it. This is the Wait For It Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Wait For It Podcast. I am your co-host, Phil Smith, aka Phil the Filipino. And welcome to the July edition of Filuminati Fan Theory. Super excited to have you guys here. If you never listened to an episode of Filuminati, I go through a bunch of different fan theories that I find on the uh, interwebs. Most of them are from Reddit. And if you ever find yourself wanting to read along or read through them yourself, all of the links for each fan theory are in the show notes of this episode. Got some really interesting ones for you here today, per usual. And this month, as you can see there in the title, is MCU themed. I did a Marvel specific one maybe a year ago, and uh, you know, that one was received pretty well. I also wanted to do a Marvel theme episode because, you know, Marvel's like in a weird place right now. Like a lot of people are suffering from Marvel fatigue. What's his face? What's his name? Bob Iger talking about how, you know, they've overcrowded the market as far as Marvel shows. Like, no shit, Bob. We knew that. <laughs> I haven't seen really like any of my friends talking about Secret Invasion. I certainly haven't started it. I probably will. Um, I, you know, I know what happens at the end of like the first episode. And also, I guess there was a big reveal at the end of episode four, which I'm I'm pretty sure I have an idea of what it is. But like, you know, people are talking about how this kind of how Secret Invasion kind of like changes how we're going to view the MCU. And I don't know. I just, again, none of my friends are watching it. There's not a lot of hype around it. And after so many, so many like recent Marvel projects have left just a bad taste in my mouth. Like I'm not in a rush to watch it. I'm sure I will. But again, it's not like anywhere near the top of my priority list. But with all that being said, let's get into these theories. And you know what? Speaking of Marvel fatigue, I picked three, three out of these four theories that I selected are all tied to projects that I didn't really enjoy. But that being said, these are pretty interesting theories nonetheless. Let's start with the first one, really short. And it alludes to the inevitable introduction of Squirrel Girl to the MCU. This is from Reddit user Pi1011. In episode one of Miss Marvel, Kamala mentions researching Scott Lang's podcast interviews while showing a thumbnail for an episode of the podcast called This Powered Life. The title of the show implies that it focuses on the experiences of superheroes and other enhanced individuals. It would only make sense if its host was an enhanced individual themselves. Looking through Marvel's catalog of characters, there is one in particular who was a precedent for hosting superhuman-based podcasts. In 2022, Marvel released Marvel's Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show, an eight-part scripted podcast depicting an in-universe radio show hosted by Doreen Green, a.k.a. Squirrel Girl. The show, much like This Powered Life, is about interviewing people in the superhuman community. If the MCU ever wishes to adapt Doreen to the big screen, this could be a good way they could tie her into the established world. I've heard very good things about this podcast. I actually might check it out eventually. But, you know, people have been clamoring for Squirrel Girl in the MCU for a while. A lot of people want Anna Kendrick to play this character. I don't know if we'll ever see her. But, I mean, Marvel has had this ability to bring in characters that are, like, really obsolete. I mean, honestly, once they made Guardians of the Galaxy work, that's when I knew it was like, okay, you know, I'm going to give everything a chance. I will say earlier, uh, you know, I pointed out that three of these four theories are from projects I didn't like and uh, not Miss Marvel, though. Miss Marvel was fantastic. I'm, I'm more so referring to Ant-Man. Quantumania was just not good. Bad CGI, really, really campy humor. And it just was not the movie to introduce Kang in. Like, it just didn't make a lot of sense. The Ant-Man movies have always just been kind of like, 
okay anyway. And they're always just carried by the raw charisma of Paul Rudd. But Quantumania just wasn't it for me. Speaking of something that wasn't it, let's talk about the Loki show. <laughs> if, you've, if you've been around long enough, you uh, you guys may have, I think, watched. I believe it was a YouTube a video that we did, a YouTube review of Loki. Uh, you guys know how much Eric and I <laughs> disdain the Loki series, uh, which is really disappointing since Loki and you know Tom Hiddleston, one of my favorite characters in the MCU. But Loki, again, just an absolute mess of a show. Not a fan of Sophie whatsoever. And I'm going to, again, begrudgingly watch season two of Loki because I think it's going to be very important. That's the one thing that's frustrating, too, is the Loki TV show is probably up there amongst the most important of the Marvel shows that have come out in Disney+. Plus. So you know, the fact that you have to watch through six, seven episodes of crap to get to the important part is is very frustrating. Anyway, here's a theory from Reddit user The Mediocre Critic, who has a theory that Loki will form a council of Lokis to combat the influx of Kangs into the sacred timeline. They will free the variants and use the TVA to fight Kang, and Loki will finally realize his glorious purpose. Loki has proven time and time again to be a central player in the MCU, and I believe that going forward, this trend will continue. In the coming season, we will see Loki fulfill a purpose he could have never predicted, a purpose that has him becoming the protector of the sacred timeline. He will repurpose the TVA to protect instead of control. Tom Hiddleston has previously teased that season two would be centered on the war for the soul of the TVA. This would fit perfectly with that. Here's how I see it playing out. Loki watches as the multiverse begins to crumble after the death of He Who Remains. The TVA's fall as He Who Remains' hold on them is broken. War is breaking out in the multiverse, and each day brings them closer to multiversal war. Loki, feeling partly responsible, takes it upon himself to protect the sacred timeline. He frees those in the TVA and repurposes the TVA to help fight against the Kang insurgents. Loki is going to need some help. He will need a group of people that can deceive, trick, sabotage, and genuinely be a pain in the ass to the Kangs that are coming through and causing problems. Loki goes to those he truly understands, him. Loki recruits all the Lokis he can find from across the multiverse, a group that can never stand up against Kangs physically, but through their sheer trickery and tomfoolery. I think this is the endgame for Loki in the MCU as a god at the end of time, protecting the timeline but not controlling it. I picked this one specifically because, you know, we'll know very soon how accurate this is. And if it turns out that this person was like spot on, I'm definitely going to come back to this post and <laughs> give them kudos. There's no mention of Sophie in this, but I, I could definitely see them, you know, both kind of running this group of Lokis, you know, being kind of like the leaders, splitting that responsibility between both of them. But ultimately, I think I, I'd like this to be Loki's story. Again, I'm just not a fan of the Sophie character. Let's refocus on the main Loki and, you know, give him, you know, that redemption story that I think he is deserving of. Let's get to the next disappointing project here. And this one <laughs> is in regards to Thor Love and Thunder. There was a theory out there, I believe, on the Marvel Studios subreddit that the reason that Thor Love and Thunder was so, like, campy and silly and goofy is because that Korg is narrating and he is telling this story to a bunch of kids. I mean, sure, that makes sense, but it still doesn't excuse Thor Love and Thunder for being just an unserious movie. When you have a villain named Gore the God Butcher and you don't ever see him butcher any gods, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know, like. Anyway, let's talk about this one. This is from Reddit user subject 89P13. And this is just an expansion on the theory that, again, Korg is an unreliable narrator. One, Korg is literally nothing but a talking face for half the movie. 
This is the most obvious detail that Korg is an unreliable narrator, along with the fact that the movie begins and ends with Korg telling this story to a group of kids. The notion that the only living part of a Cronin is the face. The notion that the only living part of a Cronin is the face is absurd, even for Marvel. If you're taking that literally, then the movie just became really stupid. If you realize Korg is just bullshitting these kids and embellishing parts of the story, it's hilarious. I don't know about that. Two, another rock, paper, scissors joke. There is a Cronin god in Omnipotent City sitting on a throne of scissors. The very first time we meet Korg in Ragnarok, he cracks a rock, paper, scissors joke when he tells Thor he's made of rocks, but not to let that intimidate him unless he's made of scissors. This may even be a clue that the silly depictions of the gods like Bao the Dumpling God and the god that's just a head on a pair of feet are just embellishments by Korg to entertain the children. 3. Stormbreaker is not actually jealous of Mjolnir. Most people don't really understand the Nine Realms, Bifrost, and Tree of Idrisil, but it's really quite simple. Stormbreaker uses the Bifrost, the Bifrost accesses the Tree of Idrisil, Idrisil is a system of portals connecting nine planets in nine different galaxies, aka realms. Thor can only use Stormbreaker to portal directly to any of the nine realms, not anywhere in the universe. This is why they construct the goat boat to travel to Omnipotent City and the Shadow Realm. They're outside of the nine realms. Korg doesn't understand this. He thinks the reason Stormbreaker isn't cooperating to teleport to Omnipotent City is because Stormbreaker is jealous that Mjolnir is back. They are able to buy Frost directly back to Earth from the Shadow Realm because Earth is in Midgard and the nine realms. Four, the trailer begins with Korg telling the story. Along with the film both beginning and ending with Korg telling the story to children, the trailer also kind of gives it away that we, the audience, are basically the children gathering around for Korg's storytelling time. 5. Cronin Reproduction Korg tells the kids that Cronins are all males and they reproduce by holding hands over lava for three days. This is probably the same as telling them babies come from the stork. Korg may just be teaching sexual preference awareness. Cronins are probably not all male. Korg says in Ragnarok that only his mother and her boyfriend showed up to his revolution. And finally, six, they probably didn't give the kids the power of Thor. I got some pushback on Marvel Studios for this part because that scene is awesome, but it's probably another embellishment. Not an awesome scene, by the way. Uh, consider that Korg's audience is a bunch of kids. So a bunch of kids all getting the power of Thor and fighting an army of shadow monsters would keep the kids captivated. A clue is the fact that Thor is using Zeus's Thunderbolt to give the kids the power of Thor, which doesn't make sense. And if Thor could really give out his powers in mass, then the memes are correct. He should have used his power before. Hopefully this helps put Love and Thunder in perspective. Let me know what you think. Someone in the comments pointing out, you know, that Korg, obviously voiced by Taika Waititi, equals to Taika telling the whole story from Korg's perspective. And I think this one does make a lot of sense. But if you're going to do this idea, make it like a Marvel short. You know, don't give us a full feature length film where the audience is basically being talked down to. Don't give us such an unserious movie for, you know, one of the original Avengers. I don't know. Again, there are definitely parts of Thor Love and Thunder that I enjoyed. But when Thor does return, you know, I hope they've gone in a completely different direction. Let's get into the last one here. And that is actually regarding Deadpool 3, which they are in the process. Well, they were in the process of filming. And then the uh, the writer is an actor strike started, which, by the way, speaking of theories, I'm going to throw this one out there. You know, we saw out of nowhere. You know, we saw a lot of photos of Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman on set in their costumes. I 100% buy into the idea that the studio leaked those on purpose. That way, when the strike did happen, you know, obviously because all filming has been halted, not for just Deadpool, but for many, many projects, people that are not in the know. And, you know, listen, not everybody needs to look into why this strike is happening. You definitely should educate yourself on what's going on. It's similar to a lot of strikes, you know, where writers are just picketing and 
and protesting to get what they are owed when it comes to creating these television shows and movies that we love. But I definitely don't doubt that the studio leaked those on purpose. That way, people that are not familiar with what is going on will just blame the actors, blame the writers, you know, for not giving us these movies and TV shows when we want them. But I digress. You can look into that on your own. I definitely implore you to. This is from Reddit user Gavin Velson's Alexa, who talks about a theory on who the villain is going to be for Deadpool 3. I believe that the main antagonist of Deadpool 3 is going to be Deadpool. I think this because it would fit three different patterns that seem on brand for the series so far. One, the thematic arc. Two, the real world meta narrative arc. And three, the in comics meta narrative arc. The first movie was a love story. It was about meeting, falling in love, and in any other movie, getting married. The second movie was about starting a family. I think it would see fit to see a third movie about empty nesting, that family you raised growing up and leaving you behind. It's been five years since the last movie. Negasonic and Russell aren't teenagers anymore. After Yukio fixed the TTD, Cable most likely went home to his family. Weasel is almost assuredly written out instead of recast. The family that Deadpool built by the end of Deadpool 2 has all moved on, and Deadpool is left behind. Meanwhile, in the real world, this is likely the last hurrah for the final remnants of the Fox universe. Jackman already said he was done with playing Wolverine and only came back for this. Reynolds is pushing 50 and taking up a dozen other projects. So he may be too old and too busy to want to keep doing these, even if given the opportunity. With the numerous changes in writers, directors, and even studios, I guess Disney doesn't really want to extend that opportunity anyway. It seems likely that this will be each actor's final turn with their respective characters. When it's all over, they're going to leave Deadpool behind. Now, as for Deadpool as the villain, in Deadpool 2, the Juggernaut rips Deadpool in half. The team takes the top half of him to regroup and regrow. I think the bottom half was also recovered, which will give us evil Deadpool. I think Emma Corrin is going to play some version of Allison Kemp, who has been gathering the various parts of Deadpool that get scattered across battlefields in the last few movies. And she has let them grow together in a sort of Frankenstein-type monster. And I think ultimately that is the enemy that Deadpool and Wolverine are trying to put a stop to, their own legacies that they left behind. Plus, if evil Deadpool grew from the bottom half of Deadpool, there will absolutely be a joke about how he left his behind behind. Again, another one that I picked out because we'll be able to fact check this in a couple of years. Some people in the comments pointing out that like Logan in the final Wolverine movie kind of did a you know fighting a version of yourself story. And if Hugh Jackman decided to come back, you know, after thinking Logan was his final appearance as that character, they might go for something a little bit more epic. Uh, I'm not familiar with the Rose Gallery of Deadpool villains. You guys would have to fill me in there. But I think this would be awesome. Ultimately, I I have a lot of high hopes for Deadpool 3. You know, it is going to be rated R, which is good. And finally getting to see this version of the character with Hugh Jackman's Wolverine is going to be comedic gold. I really cannot wait for this movie to come out. And it's one of those projects, you know, where they announce it and you're like, God, I guess I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) I'm going to keep watching these MCU films. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 gives me a lot of hope that maybe they'll be able to write the ship and, you know, get get it back on track. I don't know what's going to happen with the Marvels. We'll see what kind of treatment it gets after the first Captain Marvel. And, you know, I've been on the record of saying as much as I love Brie Larson, I'm not really I haven't been the biggest fan of that portrayal. To be fair, though, Amon Vellani is going to carry that movie as (laughs) as Miss Marvel. So excited to see that character back. Excited to see her get her shine. And, you know, fingers crossed that the MCU can you know figure it out. But that's it for this episode of Filuminati Fan Theories, folks. What did you guys think of these? I really enjoy going down the Marvel rabbit hole, you know, even though 
I've I spent a lot of this episode criticizing pretty much every single project that I talked about. But I mean, the MCU is such a core topic when it comes to this podcast. You know, I'll always come back to it. I'll always have a lot of love. And uh, I think it's just really a, a frustration because we know how great they can be. And they haven't really been that lately. So I think it's good to have these conversations. Good to be critical. And, you know, that's the way change happens. So let me know what you guys thought of these theories. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to find the rest of our content or our social media pages, make sure you click that link tree link in the show notes. You will find everything you need there, along with the opportunity to sign up for our Patreon. You'll get a lot of really member exclusive benefits, such as special shout outs like our patron Briar gets every episode, as well as early access to certain episodes and video versions of episodes. If you ever want to see what a disaster it looks like whenever Eric and I record, sign up for that Patreon page, but only if you have the means. If you want to support us in another way, head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us a five star review. Also, another great way to support the show. Folks, I'm Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino, and that has been the July edition of Illuminati Fan Theories. Do not forget, we release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday with additional content over on our TikTok page. And all you have to do is wait for it. So, I heard you're looking for a go-to source for entertainment. Wait for it? Gaming? Wait for it? Anime? Plus Ultra! Mr. Eric Almighty and Phil the Filipino? Yeah, they've got you covered. And all you gotta do is wait for it. This is the Wait For It Podcast.